0: James and Jane.
1: Hey this is Jane and just before we get into this episode I want to remind you all about the great stuff on our website at www.worldofwork.io. Over there you can check out our online seminar program, the workshops we run as well as our coaching and all the other podcasts we've recorded. So that's www.worldofwork.io. Now on to this episode. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane.
0: And here we are again with another episode of a World of Work podcast. What are we chatting about today, Jane?
1: Today we are talking all things menopause. Oh, what
0: fun. I've waited all my life for this conversation. (laughs) I don't
1: know if you're serious or not. Uh, So yeah, we're going to talk to the brilliant Ruth Devlin from Let's Talk Menopause. And uh, we're going to look specifically at what the experience of women in the workplace is uh, who are experiencing menopausal symptoms or perimenopausal symptoms and how they we can maybe meet their needs better in the workplace
0: yeah that's right this is part of our series on inclusion um and as Ruth says this uh, topic of menopause probably sits fairly well with a lot of women's health issues but also there are some messages to do with inclusion in relation to menopause as well so we think it fits well here
1: absolutely so I think we can probably dive straight in
0: let's do it Okay, so here we are. We're in the core of this week's episode. We're speaking to Ruth Devlin from Let's Talk Menopause, and the conversation today is all about menopause. Um, before we get into the conversation, though, Ruth, would you be able to introduce yourself to the audience and say a bit about your background? and? What yes,
2: you're sure. Hi there, um, and thanks for having me on. That's uh, great. So I'm a registered nurse, and uh, when I started experiencing perimenopausal symptoms myself, I was a little concerned about the disparity of the information out there and also the lack of information available. Um, So in about or around 2014, I set up Let's Talk Menopause to help to raise awareness, but also to provide um, easy accessibility to information which was easy to understand, but Mm -hmm. remained accurate and evidence-based.
0: Yeah. And if we think about, you know, menopause in the world of work, it's not, in, at least in my experience and background, been a topic that's been high on the agenda. And, and, you know, this series is about inclusion and diversity. What's your view about the role of menopause in work?
2: Yeah, no, I quite agree. It has remained this topic which which does... Um, there's a great stigma attached to menopause, unfortunately. And I think... Mm-hmm. Um, It's now becoming a topic with the, you know, the the raised amount of media, that media coverage around uh, menopause, but also menopause is covered under the the Equality Act 2010. Mm -hmm. So um, that's making a few organisations perk up and think that they need a menopause policy, (laughs) which is a good thing. Um, But also to um, uh, make sure that women are valued within the workplace, particularly because, you know, we are um, an ageing workforce, Um, we weren't designed to live this long women you know in the early 1900s maybe average age was 59 we Mm menopause at 57 menopause at later age and now average age is 83 and we're menopausing you know around 51 years of age so so, you know demographics have changed slightly Um, and so we have to be in a healthy state moving forward in the workplace
0: yeah that's powerful I hadn't realized about the the sort of Reflections on later life and, and the extended life period, and work in that yeah. stage—that's interesting. I listened to somebody a little while ago. I listened to a podcast on mem- uh, menopause as part of my prep there's yeah. something else I was doing. Great. <laughs> um, and they mentioned two stats that really stuck with me that I wanted to get some reflection on. Um, one, it said that for some women, they'll spend about 25% of their working life in a menopausal perimenopausal stage of life, which yeah. seemed like huge to me. I, you know, I'm holding my hands up. I'm fairly nativist subject. Uh Um, And the second thing they mentioned is they they said that they think up to 10% of women leave the workforce. During that menopausal period. Have you got thoughts on... Yeah, no, that's
2: absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these topics which remains... Because it remains to be this taboo topic, unfortunately. And and at the end of the day, it is just part of a woman's hormonal journey. So that's part of my job, I feel, is to raise awareness and provide information to try and normalise it as a topic. But yeah, women, um, because uh, it's a female health issue and they don't uh, think that it's a value reason to take time off work, they'll maybe not communicate with their managers or communicate Mm -hmm. with their colleagues as to the reasons that they're they're taking time off work or they're they're embarrassed by the um, symptoms that they're experiencing so some maybe there's some of the psychological and and emotional symptoms that you know that they're experiencing and they don't like to admit that they're experiencing those or then some of the physical ones they're finding embarrassing as well so but they they don't um, value um those symptoms enough to either go to their gp with or to communicate with their uh, their, uh, managers that it's a valid enough reason to take time off work so they maybe would then take low-paid roles part-time roles and then eventually unfortunately
0: take early retirement you know what's interesting um i in one of my last last jobs i managed a team and um several of the women were of menopausal age and only one of them actually spoke to me and so we had a conversation but i didn't initiate it i didn't you know, I I wouldn't have known how to go about initiating that conversation Uh and I think she was uncomfortable about it as well so it was a little bit difficult but if I think about her career trajectory she ended up diminishing the things that I I feel that maybe she wanted to do and and her confidence in the role and Mm -hmm. ended up moving into a sideways role and then ended up leaving the organisation that I was in.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's it's really sad. And I think sometimes it can also be your perception of how you are performing within your role as well. So, you know, to colleagues, outwardly you might be um, just behaving as normal maybe slightly more irritable and maybe having the odd sure. hot flush yeah. but actually doing you know coping with your workload satisfactorily whereas mm-hmm. you yourself it's a bit like the spawn analogy you're sort of serene on the, on the top and then peddling furiously yeah. away yeah. underneath yeah. and you're not coping at all not of coping course. with life not coping with relationships and or the pressures at work as well so it's all about communication and information yeah. right and right. I think one of the things that's really really
1: struck me since I've started exploring some of the material around it is how little um women themselves are necessarily aware that that's where there's particularly in the early stages um and and some of the some of the psychological symptoms around anxiety around uh, uh, loss of confidence um quite it seems it seems to be that people are understanding now that a lot of women may not understand that's what
2: they're experiencing at the beginning of that and then lose this
1: confidence and
2: start to feel like there's
1: something wrong
0: yeah
2: yeah, no, definitely. And I think some of those symptoms that you mentioned, the emotional, psychological ones, they can be some of the first symptoms to mm-hmm. appear, but you don't necessarily associate those with the perimenopause. Yeah. A lot of women you find, they don't really want to think of that, that the stage in their lives. They don't realise it can start in their early to mid-40s um, with some of those symptoms. And... You know, we're not known as that sandwich generation for anything. We've maybe got teenage children, which uh, create a little bit of pressure on one side, and then we're coping with elderly parents as well. So we're sandwiched between the two. We don't get much time to think about ourselves either. So these symptoms can slowly start to evolve, and we're putting down anxiety and stress, you know, For other reasons, rather than um, just having the contribution of estrogen deficiency in there. You mentioned, just just to, because I think it's a really important point, James was just saying
1: that maybe his knowledge about the basics of menopause, and certainly mine. Yeah,
0: my hands are raised, by (laughs) the way, I don't know. (laughs) Well, and my hand too,
1: because I uh, I had a really interesting conversation with my GP, Uh, but... It would be really helpful because you you just mentioned that uh, symptoms quite often start in the early to mid forties. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. it would be really helpful probably for the audience say what, what what would it, what would be early? What yeah. wouldn't be early? And, and okay. how long does, can it go on for? Yeah. Oh, how and, long? And also, how what long is this
0: different stages? So so yeah, I yeah. hear the phrase menopausal. I hear the phrase perimenopausal, <clears throat> postmenopausal. What, okay. Understanding that would be helpful. Okay.
2: Way? No, that's fine. Right. Okay. So if you're premenopausal in that reproductive phase. Um, prior to anything starting. When you're perimenopausal, that's the most symptomatic stage prior to becoming menopausal. You can only be classed as menopausal when you've had 12 continual months of no bleeding. Mm-hmm. and then So you're only menopausal for one day, and then you go into your postmenopausal in years. Sure. The misconception around that word perimenopause is that a lot of women I come across... They don't think that, you know, they have the, that's the stage that they think they have to put up and shut up with all the symptoms and that they have to get through that and get to the menopausal stage before they maybe start trying to think about getting treatment. Right. But no, if they want treatment, then that is the time that they should go and, uh, and seek advice right. and have that conversation with the healthcare
0: professional. So that yeah. perimenal stage then, and, and how long does the perimenal stage last?
2: Oh, well, that's, <laughs> that's
0: <laughs> very, very different for each individual. Sure. I mean, you know,
2: stats say between four and ten years, but it is really very, very different with each individual. And that's. That's also why it's such a complex topic for people to cope with, because, you know, we've got 80% of women will experience symptoms. We've got yeah. 20% of women who just sail through and wonder what all the fuss is about, yes. which, you know, creates the problems, because they, they really genuinely think, you know, oh, that's yes, somebody yes, moaning yes, on yes, again, yes, and yes. they've no idea how debilitating some of the symptoms how are. Yeah. And so,
1: and just when you mention the symptoms, am I right? I, I've read somewhere that the symptoms kind of very much can come and go and present for a while and mm. then disappear and everything, it seems like everything's fine and then it, it comes back yeah. again. Yeah. So it's, it's very, it sounds very disconcerting.
2: It is very disconcerting. It's very random. You know, you as when you first start off in that perimenopausal phase, as you say, symptoms can come and go with all your hormones fluctuating up and down. Um, and then as you gradually... They, as you go through the stages then it becomes more profound yeah definitely but there's this huge range of symptoms so the 34 different symptoms wow. it's easy 30, sorry 34 <clears throat> 34 different oh, wow. symptoms you're obviously hopefully so not going to get well. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you might not experience any you might be fine no, I'm definitely, but got, definitely, definitely <laughs> already down that road so it's easy to it's easier to understand them, split them up into different categories. So sure. you've got your physical and you've got your psychological symptoms. Mm-hmm. And those are classed as your relatively short term symptoms. And then you've got your genital urinary symptoms, which are some of your long term symptoms, so anything mm-hmm. to do with your you um urinary um, symptoms and your vaginal symptoms Mm -hmm. as well so you've got long-term symptoms as other ones like osteoporosis and you know cardiovascular as well but you're not all going to experience all of these symptoms so it's easier to understand if you split them up into these categories and then explain Mm -hmm. um the different um ways you can cope with all these symptoms and
1: and wow okay and then from a work perspective which is what we often talk about and is kind of our main focus yeah what For you, why is it really, really important that people in the workplace understand a bit more about the menopause, about the symptoms and about the way it impacts women?
2: Well, I think because everybody experiences them in such an individual way, you know, one person will have maybe a a hot flush to one person might be a a warm glow, might go a little bit red in the neck and the face. You know, the second person along the line, they look like they've just walked off a squash court. So within two or three minutes, they are literally dripping with sweat. So they can be really, some of the symptoms can be really debilitating. You know, if you've got problems with um, everybody, you know, the most common um symptoms that people know about are hot flushes and night sweats and then changes in your menstrual cycle so some women again the ones that sail through it they will just stop having their periods and then they'll you'll or maybe have gapping in between months you know and um and then they'll just fizzle out whereas other people they develop um really heavy bleeding mm-hmm. and this can be really debilitating especially within the workplace you know especially if you're in an office which is miles away from the local boots or anything like that and mm-hmm. you're having you just have a random period you have flooding you have heavy bleeding, and it's um, <clears throat> extremely debilitating.
0: Yeah, and when we think about, you mentioned earlier things like a policy around this, and, and you know, when mm-hmm. you're describing the impact that it has on people in the workplace, I haven't really come across a menopause policy before. Can right. you say a little bit about what that might be and what people might? Put yeah, into it? no,
2: it's like any policy that you have within the workplace. It's just covering. You really need to cover um, all the different symptoms that you could potentially suffer from, and ways to cope with those symptoms, and also provide guidance for management. Um, so provide guidelines for management to adhere to. You know, provide making sure that they're providing consistent behaviour towards women. Um, who could be in that time of their lives mm-hmm. um, but also making sure that they know the reasonable adjustments to make within the workplace sure. so practical measures that they could take which usually don't actually cost that much yeah, yeah. but it just means that because you, you're accept, you yeah. know, acknowledging it as a long-term health condition it's not a lifelong condition yeah. but it is a long-term health condition by acknowledging it as that and providing the policy and then making those reasonable adjustments you are then valuing and supporting your workforce isn't
0: it? on yeah, is there something about sort of Making the policy public that brings this as a conversation to the yeah, entire organization? I think so,
2: yeah, and it needs to be easily accessible and also yeah, not a great tomb of document that yeah. people are not going to go near. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you can get an awful lot onto four A4 sides yeah. um, and just making it easy to read and uh, understand mm-hmm. um, so that people will actually bother to read it. Mm-hmm. And do you come in your work, do
1: you come across organizations doing this well? Yes, and what's very the difference so. it makes to the women involved?
2: Huge amount of difference. Yes, definitely, because even um, a couple of organisations I've worked with, you know, if you if they provide a talk for staff, they always encourage um, men to come along mm. to the sessions as well. Um, more often than not you'll maybe get one or two token men or you won't get any men at all you know which is a no brainer that sounds right I'm yes, <laughs> well it's it for, for a couple of reasons a they don't want to they're not interested they don't yeah. want to yeah. attend or they're really interested but they don't feel that they don't feel comfortable attending yeah. with a mass yeah, of women yeah, yeah. or they don't think that by attending that the women attending will feel comfortable yeah. you know to be able to ask those sensitive questions yeah. so yeah. there's a huge diverse range of reasons why they don't um, attend so ways of getting around that is to provide mail-only sessions which have been um, really useful really, um, yeah. really well attended and really interactive yeah. so they've worked really well and you know I've had emails back from mail managers who have said it's brilliant now my, now my staff know that I'm informed they, they might not come and talk to me about the vaginal dryness but they'll come and talk mm-hmm. to me about all sorts of yeah, different yeah, issues yeah, yeah, yeah. they'll feel more um, able to actually admit that they're feeling as they are feeling mm-hmm. and you know describe the symptoms and know that they're going li- to listen to Yeah, which is good and in
0: terms of you know putting together, this feels like the type of thing that organisations that listen to us might look to put together mm-hmm. um, for themselves or bring people in. What yeah. kind of things would you cover in a session, either you know a mix s mixed sex session or a session for men?
2: Okay, so first of all I would do the basics about the menopause so you go through all the symptoms the physical symptoms psychological symptoms geniturian symptoms long term symptoms and then ways in which you could cope with those symptoms so whether that's either naturally through lifestyle choices diet and exercise or um, I would always explain um, the basics about homo- hormone replacement therapy and then yeah. alternative remedies and supplements and then the alternative therapies that everyone needs to engage with as well. And yeah. then also cover reasonable adjustments that um, businesses can can make going yeah. forward. Things like, you know, if you've got um, a business uh, industry or organisation where people wear uniforms, mm-hmm. for instance. You know, somebody who's having lots of hot flushes they need a good supply of uniforms to change yeah. during yeah. the day and yeah. they need to be made of natural fibres because synthetic fibres are a nightmare if yeah. you're getting hot and dripping with sweat. And, and that's a great like that. specific... Yeah, um, and things like, you know, if you've got problems with your menstrual cycle, you're miles away from the nearest pharmacy or boots, then just providing free sanitary products within the bathrooms is a no-brainer and it doesn't cost a lot. Of well, the, fat, the so, fact that doesn't happen anyway is a whole other podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <VH>. It does, <laughs> it does in some organisations. Well. So they, <laughs> interestingly... Um, the library i use edinburgh library i use from the university they have a whole students uh student society uh uh, for doing that and i i just think it's brilliant and i think uh we can all do with a bit more yeah yeah it's Mm. a very simple thing to
2: do it's so simple
1: so it's it's, it sounds like a lot of what organizations need to do is think more and engage with the topic
2: yeah yeah and just provide simple information sessions for staff but make sure that managers and HR are attending as well and that yeah, can be yeah. a little bit of a problem because they're, they're very good at providing information sessions for the staff and then they don't follow that through with the managers coming on board as well and you're not going to make those reasonable adjustments if the managers aren't on board and informed mm-hmm. you can't just do the tick box exercise you have to you have to be informed
0: so I've got, I've got a question um yeah and I guess my question is a little bit from my perspective and where I've been in the past. We, we are speaking about menopause here as part of our um, series about inclusion itself and, and things like that. I guess as somebody who's been a male manager of um, women of a menopausal age in the past, what could I do in the future to be more open and to be more, um, you know, the type of person that, that people might want to speak to? about their menopause obviously it feels to me that I wouldn't want to initiate those conversations tell me if I'm yeah. wrong no, no, but what fine. could I do to, to come across as inclusive and to leave the door open so that people could feel um, that I was approachable if, if that was the right thing for them
2: Okay, so you could do it in a slightly different. way. It's very hard, obviously, to start a conversation uh, yes. with a female oh, colleague you know and, so, <laughs> and even suggest, "Do you think you're menopausal?" It's not really a good line <laughs> to come out with. You know oh, what? My, my palms
0: are sweating, even just at that. They are, are they? Yeah.
2: <laughs> Literally, every listener, don't do that. No, don't do that. That is really the, not the right route, <laughs> yeah. even if you know your colleagues for a very long time. Yeah. No, I think initially, do it in the roundabout route. So, so provide the education for people yeah. so that they know that. Um, that it's becoming a topic which is um, which is at the forefront mm-hmm. of your mind, and that you're accepting as a as a long term health condition, and then provide information which is accessible. So, and also if you're put, putting flyers up, so bullet points, flyers up around the office as well to make sure that people know it's acceptable to talk about it as a topic. Maybe not specify even just to go along the lines of specifying menopause, maybe, maybe do it under the umbrella of women's um, health, mm-hmm. female health issues. So you're covering things like endometriosis, infertility mm-hmm. and menopause just to make people, so there's not as much stigma attached as well. Yeah. But you'll find that if people know you've had that information session, then they'll feel more comfortable Fine. coming along to talk to you.
1: Fine.
2: And if they're yeah. really stuck for resources...
1: They could say, "Oh, I listened to this great podcast with this lady talking about menopause in the workplace, yes. and it was really useful."
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's having resources available to to signpost people to as well. So if you've got small small bits of information that you can hand out as well, or that are just on site mm-hmm. that people can pick up as well. So mm-hmm. you know, signposting to to really good websites, websites like. Um, the patient arm of the British Menopause Society is the Women's Health Concerns so they've right. got really good fact sheets on there about any topic from HRT to breast cancer to vaginal issues anything like that yeah, you know? okay. and if you're prematurely menopausal then the Daisy Network is a really okay. good um, website to sign pe- people to um, if you've got one of the five gynaec cancers then the Eve Appeal is a really good okay. resource things like this yeah. and
1: Different. you mentioned in your introduction that you're really passionate about evidence based information absolutely and so mm. it it sounds to me like these are good places but there might also be some information circulating around that's not always evidence-based would that be is that is
2: that fair i mean there's a huge amount of um, information on the internet isn't there it's just it's just making sure that you're putting those right websites out there definitely yeah yeah. listening to the people who really work um within within the organizations and who you know clinicians who are practicing Mm -hmm. currently as well within the field of menopause so i'm say, so take the topic of HRT, I personally wouldn't read a newspaper on HRT. I would sure. go and read up about that on the British Menopause Society or, or the Women's right. Health Concern websites. I just wouldn't
0: read a tabloid. Do you it know the do you, do you have a website name for the British Menopause Society? Is it just that? Yeah. That sounds like a good link for people.
2: That does. Yeah. And, and also, can I say, if you know of a, a GP who yeah. is maybe not as informed as they might be, I mean, GPs have a very, very hard role, but if they're not interested in female health, then, you know, it's not their speciality. Of course, yeah. um so go go on to the British Menopause Society try and get them to actually join it doesn't cost that much but if they don't want to join then they can scroll along to the top to publications scroll down for tools for the clinicians and they'll get really good summaries right. on any topic to do well, the menopause brilliant. that's excellent
0: yeah, that yeah. it's really helpful
2: yeah and you should download just anybody who's a practice manager download those summaries laminate them put them in their office and right. it's a really good resource yeah. oh that's brilliant yeah um and do you when you when we talk about research obviously
1: historically in women's health generally Mm -hmm. there has been should we refer to it as a little lag in maybe exhaustive research in the way that some of the other more generalised health conditions across the population have been done so there's been there's certainly I've read probably in the papers uh, I will will, caveat all of this but that there is maybe there hasn't up until maybe the last decade been as much research on women's health issues uh, as there might have been on cancers and health issues that affect both men and women is that is that something that's true is that getting better
2: no i think there has been a lot of okay. research done yeah i mean, the royal college of obstetricians and gynaecologists and the british menopause society they're continually having research. so do you and think and it's the challenge
1: is then it's not reaching the public
2: i think the challenge is yeah communicating that information and all that knowledge to the general public yeah so they kind getting of they're doing all the good there. work but they're not doing getting the, the good right work messaging. Yeah. Okay. And you usually find that a lot of these, lot of these organisations are run by clinicians who are still practicing. Yeah. So they have full time jobs, and so they're very busy yeah, people. So if you, if they, you know, if you, you go to one of the BMS's conferences, you've got clinicians who are lecturing and speaking, and that, you know, in addition to the to the, the their everyday roles. So yeah. you know, it's limited to the amount of time that they can they can put into these things. Yeah, of course. And so obviously it sounds like you're trying to fill some of that void. I'm trying to bridge the gap slightly. Uh, you're yeah. one woman. <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of people like me. There's okay. you know, there's quite a few more people than down in England, definitely. Um, and uh, lots of organisations who I could recommend as well. If you're in England and you want some referrals, yeah, definitely get okay. in touch. Um, but no, it's getting that information out, but getting it out into um, very, you know, easily accessible and, and making it easy to understand for the layperson as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, yeah. great. What well, you know, as we've been having this conversation, we've had conversation topics that help. Uh, probably individuals focus on. Um, their experience of menopause and, and their, you know, the people that they work with and little bits for organisations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked a little bit about there still being some stigma around menopause and maybe it not being as much of a conversation topic in broader society as it could be. At that broader societal level, do you think there's stuff that, that people can do to, to destigmatize menopause or, or bring it more to the public conscience? Mm-hmm.
2: Broader society as in... As
0: in not just within the workplace, bookcase, but yeah. within, you know, I guess, popular culture, media representation. Yeah, any no, of those definitely. Areas,
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, re- I just recently had a book published, um, right. which is Men, Let's Talk Menopause. Because, right. you know, a lot of women who... Little plug there. A lot yeah. of women <laughs> who come along to my um talks, they, you know, they say, well, this is great, but I'd really like my partner or husband all male colleagues to have all that information so it's again it's providing information yeah. in an easy to read format and an easily accessible format and
1: when you just going back to you mentioned you do some men only talks so that yeah. they've got a space to ask do they ask is it very much the same questions that the
2: women are asking or mm. very similar questions and I don't change my slides at all I don't change mm-hmm. the information I give at all they get every single bit of information so, so it's oh. literally just about giving them that space it's giving it's them that space and giving yeah. women yeah. Yeah. similarly and yeah. they are genuinely really interested and want yeah. to know because they, lots of time you think, you know, if you're a male manager within the workplace, you've probably got a perimenopausal partner or wife at home. Absolutely. You know something's happening with these colleagues that mm-hmm. you know you've been working alongside or um, for the last ten years, and you're sort of sandwiching them between yeah. the two. You just don't, a you don't want to go home, you don't want to go to work. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get yeah. when you get you go there. Go so, <laughs> yes. So uh, it's with sheer relief sometimes that uh, that men get the information, yeah. so they know, you know, what to expect. I think, and you know, knowledge is. It's very important, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, when we started this conversation back at the very beginning, we had a, a couple of conversations about um, a, a little bit about the stages of menopause. I don't. Mm-hmm. I think you asked a question about ages, and you talked about sort of premature menopause and things like that. Yeah. Could you talk through roughly what the ages are? I know it's unique in yeah, different no, to people, but roughly.
2: Yeah, roughly, um, menopause age is about, is about fifty-one um, perimenopausal, and then you, are, majority of women, will be fully menopausal by the time they're forty. 54, uh, 56, Fine. yeah? If you're prematurely menopausal, that's classed as being 4 to 5 and under. Right. Okay, so you've got quite a... Um, let me think of the stats. It's, it's 1 in 100 are under 40, 1 in 1,000 under 30. Fine. So, And that's for differing okay. reasons. Yeah, yeah. So maybe naturally they're... Um, um, prematurely menopausal or maybe through unfortunately having to have surgery or chemotherapy or radiotherapy something like that so and differing reasons yeah Yeah.
0: so so one in a thousand is a small number but it's not vanishingly small no so pretty much I guess everyone that listens knows somebody who would have been menopausal in that under 30 bracket yeah and it can be
2: really debilitating you know and also there's the then the issue of fertility problems Mm -hmm. as well if you're becoming prematurely menopausal and maybe you haven't had time to have your family by that time so there's all sorts of fertility issues as well to think about yeah
0: that's interesting and in terms of some of the systems uh, systems some of the um, symptoms we, we've broken them down into physical, psychological, and genital, urinary area. Yeah. In, in terms of some of the, the, um, the psychological ones, what would you sum those up as or, or what types of things do you think people
2: so the classic things that people experience are anxiety or stress irritability mm-hmm. anger yeah. you know one woman said yes to me in a talk she said rage just rage yeah. <laughs> was like, yeah, yeah. okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep that's true She's um, that one. Mm, yeah. yeah and uh, low mood swings but low I mean. mood swings are really really different to clinical depression you know but, but some people could go on to develop depression as well um anxiety could lead to panic attacks things like like that yeah. but it's learning how to cope with a lot of the symptoms naturally which sure. is really important so if you go and see any menopause specialist or anybody who's treating you they should always go and they always will if you go and see a menopause specialist they will talk about lifestyle choices first and sure. foremost the right. diet your exercises with any health issue mm-hmm. trying to go down that natural route to start with is the best is the best way to go down, first of all. So what you eat, what you drink, how much you're exercising can really have an impact on on how you're experiencing your symptoms. And then thinking, you know, particularly for um, some of the psychological, the emotional symptoms, and there's an awful lot of research going into cognitive behavioural therapy at the moment, positive mindfulness, thinking about apps like Headspace and Calm, things like that, um, really important to engage in all these things.
0: And with those sort of psychological uh, symptoms what's the sort of time span? I mean, does it does it change? Is it fluctuating? It Is does. It fluctuates consistent?
2: with your hormones, definitely. Yeah. yeah. But also there's always different contributory factors as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the estrogen levels that are declining. It's the pressures from work, pressures from family relationships, things like that, that play a role. Yeah. Um, lots of different um, things that impact.
1: Yeah. And I'm guessing that at times things that you might have normally been able to roll with, been resilient yeah. to, been able to cope with, suddenly might... Have a spike in, in the way that you react to them.
2: Yeah, you might start catastrophizing a bit, mm. a bit too much about certain things which you would never have been bothered about. You know, certain people. Like, just take an example of. You know, a friend of mine is saying, you know, I just stand in front of my wardrobe and I absolutely dither about what I'm going to wear that day. She said, why am I doing this? You know, just simple things like that. Yeah. And then people wonder, why, why why, am I doing this now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just just your brain. just and- It's just the imbalance in hormones. So the more you can think about trying to rebalance those hormones, so rebalancing the hormones naturally, first of all, yeah. and then, if and for, you know, if you, if you feel... You know, a lot of people will say to me, how do I know when I need hormone replacement therapy? Well, I think, you know the time to go and have that conversation with your healthcare professional is if your symptoms are really impacting on the quality of your life. And then that's maybe a time when you might want to go. And you mentioned
1: those those natural things around diet and exercise. I would imagine sleep must play a significant part in that as well. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, Yeah, no,
2: definitely. And a lot of people will experience insomnia at this time um, and chops sleeping at this time yeah definitely but there's, again there's lots of different contributory factors so you've got and, you know pressures from work and children yeah. and you know we're all leaving very fast frenetic lifestyles these days unfortunately and not giving ourselves enough time um, so that's all about insomnia's always about giving making sure you've got a good sleep hygiene and then mm-hmm. um, you know we're all on our LED screens yes. night late, and day too, too late you know yeah. your bedroom is an extension of off- is not an extension of your office that yeah. sort of thing you know try and shut down an hour before you go to sleep if you've got insomnia all your screens things like that
1: and um, just interesting because we've asked this question in a couple of episodes um, about what what women are now doing who maybe are experiencing symptoms in mm-hmm. the public eye, yeah. and what? So we talked about this with um, with a couple of the other episodes about uh, if someone was looking for a good role model who's talking about this stuff in the public eye. Yeah. Um. Obviously, we've got your website. We've got some good places. But are there mm-hmm. are there women that you see talking about this in the public eye that you think yeah they they talk a lot of sense or that they seem to
2: signpost in a good way? Um, uh, as in better known people, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, kind of
1: people that might be sort of a part of people's daily lives anyway, because they're either on telly yeah. or they're reporters. Well,
2: I think the coverage that they did on BBC Breakfast yeah. was exceptional. That was really good. They really, um, they went and chatted to the BMS, and they really got the right people on that program. Yeah. So they did the week's coverage on that. Um, and got the right people. And was that, that was quite recent? That was quite recent, yeah, with Louise. I can't remember her second name, sorry. I know, so but I know, know who you Louise mm-hmm. yes. Off Breakfast Kelly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 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 so she had been experiencing perimenopal yeah. symptoms, and so the, they went around in the right way, so that was good. So if you can see any coverage on that, that was good. Okay, brilliant. Also, the Kirsty Walk documentary, who, um, she did that probably about, oh, I think three years ago, something like that. That was a very I'll good documentary. So 2016, that yeah, kind yeah, of time. Yeah, that, that time. Online. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah okay. definitely. That's good. good. Um, and, uh, do you think we will see I mean this is this is somewhat guessing but given the way that we're becoming more open about this and we're talking about these issues mm-hmm. more do you think we'll see more women in the public eye talking about it with comfort do you think that's something no, we should expect I think
2: so I think the more it's talked about the more it's normalised and the less stigmas attached so people you know feel that they they're they were, you know, more comfortable talking about it definitely I don't think yeah I think that we'll definitely move forward good
0: cool and last question a bit of a leading one hopefully okay. there's an answer here um, <laughs> Well, second to last question, there'll be two leading ones. Uh, And and when we talk about, you know, rolling out things like inclusion and training and things like that in organisations, in, in your view do you think that this should form part of all of the inclusion training that's out there what's your view
2: yeah I do agree with that. Yeah, yeah definitely I think it's a very important <laughs> topic but I think try and include it in the umbrella of um, women's health issues overall you know because there's lots of different you know issues like endometriosis yeah. Women, there's quite a high percentage of women who suffer from that and suffer yeah. in silence as well because yeah. they're embarrassed by that or they don't know mm-hmm. you know what they can do about about that condition as well so um, any any health any female health issues should be should be included in a, in a menopause poli- in, a, in a policy. Cool, yeah, that works. Right.
0: Is it time for the, the last leading question?
2: You can go for the last All leading right. question. Okay. Go on. <laughs> so, Don't fight. <laughs> <laughs> You're
0: if, if anybody wants to find out more about you and the things that you do, how can they find out? How can they learn from what you've been doing?
2: Okay, well, I've got a website, yep. which is called um, letstalkmenopause.co.uk. My email for that is info at letstalkmenopause.co.uk. So and is that just, all one word? Just letstalkmenopause, yeah. no hyphens or anything? No hyphens there? or anything, all yeah, lowercase, okay. yeah. So they can get in touch with me bye. Uh, that's, yeah. right. and if they want, anybody wants to organise a talk within their organisation right. again just drop me an email and uh, we can have a
0: conversation yeah. and what was your book again can they get that on your
2: website yeah they can get that on um, Amazon or right. Waterstones and that is Men Let's Talk Menopause great
0: right. maybe okay. I should read that
2: yeah I feel like I might buy it for you for Christmas
0: <laughs> yes. it's a great see stocking what filler <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh that's okay. an awkward good
2: conversation on breakfast morning, <laughs> breakfast
1: morning. <laughs> but right. it shouldn't be
2: right it shouldn't that's be hard, I know hard. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's humorous as well, and it's got some sketches
0: in that my son did as well, just oh, to fun. add a bit of humor as yeah, well. Yeah,
2: yeah, but yeah. but the information in there is it's packed with information, yeah. so yeah. it's brilliant. brilliant. Sounds all like right. a winner.
0: Yeah, well, it's just time to say thank you. I guess that was excellent, really informative, and speaking yeah. for all the guys out there, it is. Um, you know, this is a conversation that I think a lot of guys don't have and that people struggle with. It's a bit of a, a strange and unusual conversation for a lot of men. So I think for um, more of it, guys can get involved. Yeah, the and better I it think is for everybody
1: um i'm i'm apparently on the face of it one of my first friends to experience <laughs> symptoms i'm right. probably not but okay. but apparently am and i uh i was surprised how hard it was to figure out what the right information was to do so thank yeah. you for coming on talking and hopefully people can take something to improve the experiences of women in the workplace absolutely
2: brilliant well thanks for having me on
0: okay here we are you're back with us now that was our conversation with ruth i thought that was excellent
1: Yeah, it's really nice to know there's people out there like her talking about this issue and helping people understand what it means for women in the workplace.
0: Yeah. And from, you know, from a male perspective, I think it's a conversation that um, is sometimes difficult for men to to get involved in for several of the reasons that um, Ruth mentioned in there. And I think anything that we can do to learn more and and be more inclusive is really helpful.
1: Yeah, I really took from, like, it's interesting. She's a registered nurse. She was a registered nurse, right? And I... um, there's a real no-nonsense, practical, helpful approach um, that I really appreciated in the way that she approached a lot of that information.
0: Yeah, in terms of takeaways, one of the things that um, I wanted to bring up here was something that we actually mentioned offline, but I think it's worth bringing up. She said that one of the things that organisations can do that can be really helpful to increase awareness and inclusion towards uh, menopausal women is to create menopause drop-in rooms or drop-in sessions. And she said what these are are, you know, monthly or, or bi-monthly. Um, sessions where you get a room with lots of information about menopause and women can just drop in they can read information they can speak to each other and they can have that as a space to engage with menopause as a topic and and get to know other people so i thought that was a great suggestion that we didn't manage to squeeze into the actual recording
1: yeah i think that's it makes total sense right a place that you can just get away and, and be yourself Yeah. Um, And I think the other thing that I think was really interesting was that she she, you know, called out that idea that there isn't research. There's lots of great research. It's just that maybe it's not always communicated brilliantly. So if you go looking at some of the places that she suggested, Mm -hmm. there's lots of really useful information, evidence based, that will help you understand a little bit more about this topic.
0: Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I enjoyed it. Informative. Another good episode, I think. So I guess it's just time to say we'll catch you later. (laughs) <laughs> yep,
1: absolutely have a have a good
0: week Yep. bye everyone hi thanks for listening to this episode of the world of work podcast to learn more about what we do please check out our website www.worldofwork.io where you can read some great articles learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver or even support us if you wish through our patreon page that's www.worldofwork.io thank you